Buckle up, listeners. I love that, Carl. That's really clever. Is that because there was um, a seatbelt sign noise? Yeah. Well, welcome to... Well, that fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> a podcast with Luke Coulson. And Kyle Wise. And a seatbelt sound. Uh, every week we'll be talking to real guests about their amazing, often traumatic, life-changing experiences and events that have happened to them. Focusing on stories of survival, hope, and overall triumph. Yeah, so really focusing on the good stuff that has come out of some pretty extraordinary things that have happened to people. Yeah. I love that. Me too. Yeah. Uh, we actually have our first sponsor too, which is jolly exciting. And we're now sponsoring... I feel yeah. like now's a great time to use the seatbelt <laughs> sign. And the original Handlebar Jack, which you can find at www.handlebarjack.com. Do you know what that is, Kyle? I don't. Right. So you know when you need to mend your bike, your bicycle, and you turn it upside down because your chain's fallen off, or maybe there you've got a flat tire? Yeah, I was thinking, man, it always messes up with my gears. Yeah, it messes up with your gears. So now there's a little stand, which is perfectly portable and comes in a really nice package. And these two little clips, and they clip onto your handlebars. They're completely universal. And then it turns into a little stand. So when you turn your bike upside down, it literally allows your bike to balance. It's like one of the most cleverest things. And I just want to add that we're not a bicycle podcast. However, we are all about surviving traumatic and life-changing experiences. Have you ever had a flat tire on like a grimy, dusty road? Yeah, it's the worst. The worst. So now our tenuous sponsorship link is complete. If you do go online at www.handlebarjack.com and you type in the code WTFMU, which is actually the acronym for our podcast, which we had to write down because it really confused <laughs> the fuck out of us, <laughs> then some of the proceeds will be going to foodonfoot.org. That's foodonfoot.org. And those guys are helping out the unhoused and the low-income neighbors in your neighborhood. So our friends at Handlebar Jack will actually donate um, some of the proceeds to that amazing organization. So, I mean, it's a win-win, people. Incredible. Hey, listeners. Welcome back. Now, raise your hand if you have an alcoholic parent or have had alcoholism in your family and you have had to experience some form of abuse as a child. Right. Now raise your hand if, in order to deal with that, you made a movie. Um, I know, right? I don't think many of us can still have our hands raised. Our guest today is Justin Connor, who is a musician, songwriter, filmmaker, writer, author, and general all-round spiritual awesome human. His movie, The Golden Age, is out on Amazon Prime, and I wanted to put this interview into context because Justin actually made a film in order to get his story out there. It's done in the style of a mockumentary. He plays the lead character. It's kind of a parallel of his life. It's very, very um, raw, and I would highly recommend it in this interview that's coming up. We meet Justin, we chat through the film, but then we really get down into the nitty-gritty of what it's like as a child to have an alcoholic parent what that does to you, what traumas that leaves with you, how that affects your grown-up life. Um, so we're going to dig in. He's a really great guy. And um, oh, after this episode, tune in for Thoughts with Luke and Kyle, 
because we're going to discuss the ominous kitchen scene. Well, after that intro, Justin. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, now. Nice, nice intro. That's good, right? Good. <laughs> Got you. So let's see. We're going to spend a lot of the time talking about the film that you have, have made, which is um, really quite extraordinary, but confusing to me because I, I, I want to understand whether it's your story told through a different protagonist, if it's pa exactly parallel, if it's embellished for the purpose of dr drama and comedy, um, if it's a vehicle for your music and you needed something to get that out there. Where, where do I begin? Where do you want to begin? Oh, gosh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, the Golden Age. What, what do we say? So, yes, yeah, sorry, it's called the Golden Age. It's on Amazon Prime right now, and um, we can do some plugging on that a bit later on, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you know, ideally, the uh, the title is, uh, according to the East, we're living in this polluted age called Kali Yug. In the Golden Age, there's like a, a moment within it that we kind of... Um, expand past and beyond these polluted permutations of our own past, our I own see. minds, our own fear, our own fame. So that's kind of where the story of the title comes from. But in terms of, geez, I don't know how to address all those questions. So it is, um, <clears throat> it is very reflective of my own life. It is part uh, exactly how things played out. There's a little bit of embellishment. It's very well done, by the way, because, you know, you. you're, you're, I mean, I, I've seen a few mockumentaries. Again, you might hate me for, for saying that, but... It, no, 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 I like that. It term. feels very... It's very well acted. Everyone seems very very genuine, and you feel like you're watching this incredible story mm. about this kind of... This guy who had it all or could have had it all and just, and just fucked it, right? But then... And this is where it hit me was, I don't know how many minutes in you start to see the first flashbacks and discussions about his father and his, and, and his experience as a child and having an alcoholic dad. So mm. let's dive in and talk about, sure. talk about <laughs> that and whether you want to talk about that in relation to the movie or whether you want to talk about that in relation to you. Mm. I don't mind how you want to do it, but sure, that's, sure. that was a big take that's out great. for me. And it's funny how you set up the first act because it is very believable and I, I had to really fight tooth and nail because actors want to perform so much. And this was all scripted that I wanted to make sure that they were just being with the material and not trying to present it. So that that mockumentary format can get a little um, tongue in cheeky, you know, and I'm very motivated and inspired by people like Christopher Guest, who does these mockumentaries. And I think of the Golden Age in the same way and that it is a comedy. It is a satire about mm. the madness of material life, but not for laughs. Yes. And played so straight that you can't really know what's real and what's fake, even to myself. So when you say like, oh, he all screwed it up or he fucked himself or, you know, like I get what you're saying. But at the same time, from my vantage point, it was more of a satire on fame itself. Because if you watch music documentaries, I think the reason it hit home with so many people like, oh, my God, I haven't heard from this guy. Because I played it so straight in that regard because... Yeah the conundrum of being a person who wants to make it and then does thinks they're going to have a different experience than everyone else does, but everyone goes mad. Oh my God. Sort of a satire yeah. with it. Yes. Like we shouldn't be trying to search for this particular name and fame thing of like, who am I? And look at me and look what I've done because those people go as crazy as anyone. 
So yeah, there was that like absolvement with my father and um, I brought a lot of that to the story. And, and it's funny, I have a book coming out that's attached to the film later this summer that goes far deeper on these karmic wounds of the family and, and specifically my dad and my mom. But, you know, these, it's interesting, like these wounds with our parents, they kind of destroy us, but they also kind of save us. So I think there's an element of wanting to, in those initial moments that you mentioned, him struggling with himself and his father, it really knocks him back. But by, as the story moves on, you realize that these are part and parcel of him, you know, going on this devotional path. So I did have these wounds with my father and it's so hard in a film within a hundred minutes to tell this story and be as concise with it, which is why I mentioned the book, but in a sweet caveat to it, even though I hadn't, I'd been estranged my father for 25 years by making this film, I was able to like really broach some real forgiveness with him. And I since until he passed away, he, uh, he and I had a really sweet last like five years of his life, but, but it was really, it was, I, you know, and I'm finishing the book right now and the the film and the book, it's like people who are watching it as well as those who are getting a glimpse of the book, they're like, I don't know how you're still standing. And I'm like, yeah. I don't either. And the funny thing is what people have seen in the film is sort of like the Cliff Notes version versus in the book, it gets far more mm. intricate. So mm. it's like, but that's the, that's the beauty of survival and why I think this is resonating with a lot of different people because we've all had to walk through these horrors with our alcoholic parents or narcissistic parents or these complicated relationships and how did we possibly survive it. But yeah, um, yeah that's <clears throat> well, what it comes from. Well, that's amazing. What's extraordinary is that we're, we're recording this on the third anniversary of my father's death. And oh. God, and I'm so sorry. It, well, it's just so firstly it's coincidental because we pre-planned this date a few weeks back which which hadn't occurred to me and oh, there, and there's a so huge sorry. story there's a huge relevance to my story um which you know I shared some stuff about it in one of the previous episodes but you know alcoholism in my family woohoo that is a good old trait for us and then with that the abuse the uh the moods the anger, oh, the yeah. blame, the and, and all the unhappiness that comes with that, that it gets put onto us as as the children. You oh, know, yeah, and totally. my God, does that screw you up? And at the end of your film, just the um, when you reach out to your dad who's in hospital, it just it felt like that was a thing. It felt like that was a real thing. It felt like that's, yeah. some, that's something that you had done. It was like that making amends because you realize what. Well, who wants to go through the rest of your life knowing that you never tried to reconnect that? Yeah. Way, you know? Or take the higher road with it, you know? And it's like, it was, um, <clears throat> forgiveness, you know, that's a hard <clears throat> play to, you know, when you're talking about your own father, the alcoholism, I'm sorry for your father's passing. Like, Cause I know that when my <clears throat> anniversary of my dad or my mom passed, cause my mom passed away right when I went into post-production on the film, then my dad passed away. Oh wow. Gosh. Um, just as I was doing my film festival run, um, and just a quick caveat to that in terms of karma or how crazy their, how, how sinuous their relationship was and so connected and me connected with theirs. My dad passed away on my mom's birthday oh, wow. and my mom four years early passed away on his. Oh my goodness. So when these, when these like, um, when these anniversaries come up, like your dad, your dad's mm. is today, like mm. take some time for yourself. Cause I know sometimes they bring up stuff. Definitely. But what I wanted to say about the, um, the comment that you made is that the confusion being a child with this alcoholism, is it was sure the pain and the sh- shame and the um, abuse and the neglect and the emotional. But for me, it was like the day after 
that monster was gone. And if you confronted them about what just happened, they totally denied it because they had to, or yeah. they don't remember it. And yeah. it was like that. That's what was probably yeah. most confusing. Well, it's like, I mean, this is getting very uh, deep and, and I think that's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole plan of this, this show. No, 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 let's it go. Is, um, it, for me, it was the not knowing what version of, of him I would be faced with. Yes. Right. That's, that so loving, on eggshells. loving father or really fucking angry human. Oh, yeah. The monster. Uh, yeah. T- absolutely terrifying. And walking on eggshells, yeah. not wanting the monster to reappear and yeah. confront the monster saying, what was that about? And them denying it. It's like, yeah. as a child, you're like, wait a minute, that just happened. Yes. And, and, you know, you hear stories about, I mean, even in people that I know in my social circle who are, you know, anonymously, are in abusive relationships as grown-ups with their partners. And that is such a main form of that because, and often alcohol or drugs is, um, is there, but they, that's why people stay with people because they're like, but then yet, but then the next day he was fine. And I think he'll probably be fine from here on. And then lo lo and behold, turns again, you know? Oh gosh, totally. And Mm -hmm. see what I found is that by being proxy and conditioned into this way of behavioral patternship, it then affected my relationships with either friends or women that I was Mm -hmm. attracting or, Mm -hmm. or whatever. It was sort of like, (laughs) you know, like I had to really take a gut check at, for me, what was happening is the universe was sending me a variety of personalities that Mm -hmm. absolutely mimicked and foreshadowed and revealed that which I hadn't come to terms with the, them or my brothers or whatever. Wow. And I cut getting that until I realized, oh, I want to end this cycle because I'm now attracting the very things that I was used to. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't really serving me anymore. Yeah. So I'm going crazy in my adult life. Yeah. But that's what's familiar. Yes, it's You know, like so emotionally common. charged narcissists. Like, oh, they feel at home with me. But then I'm like, oh, dude, this isn't cool. It's yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it just molds us. So back back to the version of yourself or the protagonist in the film um there's a lot of uh finding oneself there's a lot of traveling there's a lot of chanting um and there's a lot of and again i might be using the word spirituality in the wrong context but maya your character slash you proxy um how relevant was that to you your alter ego how relevant was that to you and your spiritual journey was there one and and what did that look like yeah very much so i I call you know my o'malley is my alter ego it's sort of like my ziggy stardust with less makeup but maybe a lot more familial baggage but um it was very close to home and in the story i talk about coming to this devotional fold through um a girl that i met who lived at uh the Hare krishna temple in los angeles and and, you know, I'm not, I've never been one of these people to gravitate towards a conventional religion. We were raised mm. Catholic as kids, but it was mm. more about like um, what we would, what would we be perceived if we didn't attend church and our neighbors saw that we weren't there, you know? Yeah. So I kind of, there was a hankering for that devotional path. And she presented me the Bhagavad Gita and some teachings of uh, the guru, uh, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and I started reading those. So really like the emanation of this whole script was like not only confront these wounds that I had had, but also... Don't be so tricky with yourself because you know this is where you're heading in a devotional light. Mm. And you know that if you don't corner yourself or write this script, that that's where you're headed. 
we can be tricky with ourselves knowing what's best for us and say, no, I'm going to take a step back and maybe yeah. I'll just like dip my toe in this or that. But I wanted to kind of commit to something in a way to heal that I knew de- deeply like spoke to me, but I also had to like frame this script so that I didn't wiggle out of it in the 25th hour. Like I'm going this route and cornered myself to not get out of it because yeah. I knew that this was really where I was headed. Yeah. So it was kind of like, Yes, I'm going to heal from these things, but I'm also not going to wiggle out by doing something or veering away from something that I know has a deep spot in my heart. Was that makes sense? Was the making of the making of the film spanned a few years, right? Oh my god, yeah. I mean, just writing the songs first, they had the songs had to tell the story like a pivotal scene does in a film, yeah. and I was trying to do it with songs. So then I had to remember where I was in the film. And I'm trying to do it chronologically, not to mention the songs. And it's all live. There's no lip syncing. Wow. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was hard to pull off and let the and can portray the idea that I'm going to convince the audience that um, the audience that I'm a, I'm a famous pop star. Yeah. You know. So like there was all these conundrums I had to like wear, and I don't even know how the film got made, but I feel like when we need to purge and heal these wounds from all this junk we've had to go through, we almost tap into a source of energy mm. that overtakes us in a way. Mm. Like I often use the analogy of like, like a boil that needs to come to the surface. Like eventually it's going to release. Yeah. And that's kind of how it came about. So I worked on this for years and then right when I went into post-production, my mom passed away and then my dad years later. So it was like, it was like a really like a decade long process. Was it, um, I guess the making of the film was quite a cathartic or was it quite an emotional <clears throat> um, roller coaster at the time? Because I guess you must have dug deep and uncovered some stuff as you went. And was that one of the reasons why you made it? Did you know, like, what was the, what were the feelings and the emotions that were uncovered as you were making the film? Was it tricky? Wow. It's know? both of those. And it was, it was developing by proxy of having, as we talked about, being the son of like an alcoholic, like you start second guessing yourself because you're not sure where you stand. So this really was great for me in the sense of like, I wrote this script and I'm going to trust my instincts. Even with what I wrote, if something presents itself better, I wanted to latch onto that while making it. So the catharsis of doing it was beyond words. The emotional ups and downs of it were just, I can't even put it into words. And I think only filmmakers can relate to it just in terms of the many machinations of making a film and how crazy it all is. But I was writing it, directing it, producing it, starting it. It was like singing the songs. It was a lot. And then like the script and rehearsing with the actors and the props and the location and the gear and the lights. It was just like, oh my God. But I had seen so many independent films when I had been on set and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of different people here. Maybe I can do it with less people to make sure that nothing gets screwed up in the process. Because sometimes what I found with the filmmaking process is if you don't get really honest about did we really get that scene or not? Sometimes mm. we would move on to another scene thinking we got it, but everybody in the crew knew we didn't. And it kind of like yeah. tampered the idealism of what this project would be. So I wanted to protect that. And, and I found like that was kind of my child, the young child of me coming out <laughs> saying, we're going to take control here. We're going to be the adult. We're going to make sure that this is captured, right? We're going to make sure that you have an unfiltered, storytelling device that matches your story because i think one of the darkest wounds or one of the deepest wounds we have being raised Mm -hmm. in that chaos is we never got to tell our own story in the way in which we felt it needed to be told interesting you know what i mean yeah um i i kind of just knowing that you, you took there were so many years and the ending 
again, you, it, it felt like the film could have unearthed even more. And how, oh, did no. you, how did you know? I, I'm, I'm seeing you as this kind of like Axl Rose second album situation with Guns N' Roses, you know, where he was in the studio for 20 years. He was like, it's not ready yet. How did you, totally. How did oh, that's, you, the, that's the story of my life. Okay. How, did you, how did you know it was done? Or did someone force your hand and say, just call it? already you know? it, it was a long process and there were different ways that could have gone and there were so many other b storylines that could have been mm. added in that i had tons of footage for <laughs> but it was about making it like what is the story like and you really know when you go into the editing room like what is it that the story really the best <laughs> you know it really became about like trusting what you knew was the a game material and if that wasn't exactly how i thought things would transpire with you know there was like another story with the girl who, you know, the, a girl in the story was a band member and I had to mm. cut some of that out because mm. it wasn't as strong or, mm. you know, so it was like you kind of like go to where the goods are and and kind of warp the story around that. But it's like mm. even working on my new album, which I'm doing demos for right now, it's like it's hard to know. Like there's always this process of like you want to get it just right. Yeah. And I think when you said like this could have been so much more of a story within the story itself, hence yeah. why I wrote a hence why I wrote a book. Yeah. Because in a book you can go so much deeper where you can't well, in a hundred minutes. So this yeah. is you know, sort of like the macroeconomic thing where and there's a lot packed into it, but you can only pack so much into it unless you make like a godfather two and a half hour type of yeah. thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't, I couldn't do that. And so um I've got a couple of quite good questions for you here. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. Let's do what it. so one one is this the story when you're in the kitchen and you talk about your father oh, and the Jesus, car. Sorry, so I had oh, to. Geez. Oh no, go. That ahead, happened, go right? That happened, and that's been the, the debate of a lot of Ooh. audience members. Some people are like, "Oh, you can't keep a scene that long in the film," and then other ones are like, "Don't touch that scene." It's amazing. That's Absolutely the best amazing. thing of the whole film, in my opinion. It was done in one take, and I just wanted to get real raw and visceral you, about you what had see. been through. But I also had to play actor because it's like yeah i knew where the camera was i knew that if i try to oversell this so it was like the whole project was kind of wafting between what's real and what's fake and there was performance always imbued with it but it was like creating a whole new form of reality for me to reconstruct my own past in order to move forward that's some meta shit right there i i, I, know. I kind of i kind of i I want to tell the listeners what that scene was, but I feel like this would work as quite a good teaser for your film if I don't, because it's yeah, yeah. It was a real watch the film just for that scene. It was a real moment because it was as raw as I've got. Well, because also anyone who's been through trauma, abuse, I don't know, even like like being bullied or manipulation, or everyone. We'll, we'll have a standout. You know, what is the thing? What is the moment that made you feel the worst? Or what is the... And it's just, that was just... <clears throat> so I knew, I just... For, for me, I just knew that was going to be pulled from a real place. I think I would have been very surprised if you were like, nah, I made that up. <laughs> okay. However, I will tell you this, and this is why I say the, the line between what's real and fake, that was completely scripted. Oh, wow. Well, that's, so, I, so, that's so I had to reformulate that wow, as a monologue. But at the same time, I had to give myself permission. You be if you don't hit it exactly right, this fight has to be absolutely real. But I wrote it all out, at, because it's like my job as an actor is going in and making someone else's monologue to their story yes. real. Yeah. So I'm like, well, you write out yours. Yeah. And you make it as gutter. This is your performance. Yeah. But this is 
as real as it's going to be. So it was still scripted. You know? Fascinating. Like, yeah, that felt very, very real to me. In fact, the whole <laughs> the whole thing did. You know, I mean, I'm not I here. Know, to, by the way, we're not here. I'm not really here to critique your movie, but um, it it feels like it feels so relevant. I'm really glad you got in touch because it feels so relevant. Everyone, everyone who we've spoken to has gone on to do something like has there's a reason why people have come on the podcast because they've got a story to share because mm. they didn't just leave it at the at the suffering or the mm. trauma or the sure. sadness or the depression or the anxiety or the suicide attempt they didn't just leave yeah. it there. that was the catalyst for the rest of the the beginning of the rest of their lives you know yeah, and I think that, like, you know, I think it's a poignant time for this film to be released is why we're all quarantined off. I think there's a lot of introspection people are going through with their own with their own past. And, and, and I think from the teachings of the East, what I gathered from it the most, which kind of um, gets into it a little bit into the third act, is like, who would we begin to be if it weren't for these experiences? That pain is yeah. our greatest teacher. And we're yeah. taught in the West to enjoy more. Yeah. But really where we grow and become this like formation of our truest selves, our, our deep, deepest soulful adventure on this crazy impermanent existence called life yeah. is when we go and walk through the fire. Yeah. So all those things you went through with your pops and I did with mine, it's like, where would we be without those as painful as they are? Yeah. You know, that we had something we had to work out with them and we had something we had to experience with them. Yeah. And it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I think it's the only one that makes sense. You know? Uh, yeah, I agree with that. What's incredible is, and you were talking about it with the people that you were attracting, you know, through your life and having to kind of break that cycle is I, I literally started the same behavior with my own children. And I'm, and you know, over a few years, and I had to, I took a good sort of hard Stop look at myself. And I was like, "How the fuck have I let that happen?" You know, but it's oh, ingrained. how could it not happen? Yeah, you know? that's how we were trained. You know, terrifying though. I know. Um, and you may <laughs> thanks for sharing that. I know it's good to know because I'm not a dad, and I've always wanted to have kids, <laughs> but I was like always feared the same. You know? Well. It nearly took me out having children, and I've shared about that quite openly. But it was something that all my, all of my childhood trauma had been completely and utterly secured and locked away until I had children, mm. and then I was punched in the face with all <laughs> the stuff that I'd locked away, and I, and it nearly took me out. I bet. Very interesting. So this is kind of one of the reasons why um, we're doing this podcast is because I had a. <clears throat> an epiphany, uh, mm. as it were, that allowed me to just realize there was a bit more to life than me just worrying about my troubled past and being terrified mm. of the future. And, For sure. And now we're finding that everyone, almost everyone is, has a story <laughs> to tell, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's uh, it's brave of you to confront that and of me to tell my story and so many people, but it's like we're not alone. No. And, how, and I think the key is to know that these things that we had to go through, we had to go through but there's great insight from them once we can move beyond the behavioral patterns at which they engendered. Of course. Like, this is beautiful. Like, I'm so who I really love. Like, I'm proud and happy. Or not proud of ego, but like, I'm so pleased with who I've become now. Yeah. It's 
because I had to really look at some of these things. Yeah. And there's no way I would have become the person I became without them. Yeah. And I have friends that have been through these hunky dory, lovely childhoods, but they never really like yeah. stepped into themselves either. You know, yeah. they were very safe and well coddled and et cetera. So it's yeah. like, pick your, pick your poison. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I would say now I'm with you in hindsight. Uh, I would never like to go through those or wish stuff like that on any, on anyone, but feeling and knowing what I know now and the authenticity and the vulnerability that comes with these conversations feels like maybe it was worth it after all. I don't know. Yes, I know. I know. I wouldn't change the, okay, here's the crazy thing. I wouldn't change it for all the money in the world, as, yeah. as, but I would never want to go back to that's an experience. It. That's that. it. I know. Yeah. But it's like, how would I even broach who I'd want, I am or would want to be, you know, it's like, I don't even... I am a product of that. Yeah, I know, right? So in a funny sort of way, I feel like we're, I feel like one of the lucky ones and that's the craziest thing that ever comes out <laughs> of my mouth because that is not how I perceived myself. And it, there's a whole sure. thing about perspective there as well. It's like I can mope around and feel hard done by or I can use this to... Well, it's, it's like the relative and the absolute. On the absolute level, this is something that engendered us to be who we are, and without it, we never would become. But on the relative sense, we have these layers of shame, yeah. you know, that are that we have to come to terms with. And it's like, so it's like we can't just like wave a magic wand. That was good for me, and I'm so happy about it. It's like no, there's still that little kid that we have to now parent ourselves in a way that our parents didn't have that skill set to take care of us. Or yeah. we didn't have ourselves to take care of that little kid until now. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think just age and time yeah. allows us to go a little deeper with it. Yeah, it's true. Age and time. Um, nearly there. This is great. Cause I've got, I could go on forever, but um, this one might be a bit too general. Um, and I feel like we've covered it. So this is going to be putting you on the spot, but what is it in with regards to your film and your film, being a kind of parallel to your life what is what is the moral of the story what is the moral of the story or if that question is too universal what do you want or intend people to get out of your movie jeez I'm good. i think good right <laughs> i think um... i just said i'm good right i didn't <laughs> I didn't mean just that. mic, just mic drops me. Like, yeah, right. Uh, bye. Um, okay, bye. Um, I think that um, from those who I've met around the world as friends, uh, close and afar, everyone I know has had to walk through some really horrific fires at one point, mm. and. I re I've realized from afar how stuck they have been by proxy of not having confronted it. So there was an element that, yes, this is my story and I wanted to heal myself through making it. But I, it was also by proxy of being so transparent about my wounds, I knew that this had the potential to heal many who have been through the same and aren't as crazy enough as I am to make a film about it. So it was really like this was kind of my seva or service to those survivors so the moral to the story is really what happens to you doesn't happen to you. It yeah. happens for you. Uh, you know, it yeah. really does. So yeah. I had to get so gangster honest with myself, my own past. That was so frightening. But at the same time, I knew that this wasn't just my story. It was yeah. just a metaphor for all of our stories because we're all walking around as wounded soldiers that mm -hmm. have survived some pretty intricately horrific wars. So that was my goal with it. 
And that's what my goal with the film, the album, and the book. And it's like, yeah. and that'll be my, you know, that wounded, that wounded healer archetype and the court jester archetype. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of levity in this film if you've got your eyes wide open enough. It's a yeah. comedy about the madness of material life on some level. Yeah. But like that wounded, that wounded healer archetype is something I really relate to. And I feel like that is where I'm navigating through this this lifetime. Like I'll take it on or I will do my best to be as transparent as possible to heal someone else that's been through the same. That's really cool. Um, so wrapping up, your I watched the film on Amazon Prime. <clears throat> I'm in the US, but yeah. I watched it on Amazon Prime. So it's available widely now. And I'm assuming it's available on other streaming platforms around the, the globe. It's on it's on Amazon Prime all around the world in every country. Um, for those, there are a few countries where it's not like India, which is a bummer because that you know with the themes. Oh yeah, but you can also watch it. You can also watch it on Vimeo on demand. Yeah, so it's on there as well. Oh, that's cool. For those who want to rent it or purchase it, um, and then the album is on all streaming platforms, and the book will come out this summer. It's called, an, it's called A Day in the Lies, and it's in reference to the Beatles' A Day in the Life, which is sort of like I, I do this big homage to the Beatles who helped get me through by yeah. listening to their music while I was going through all the chaos. So well, it's kind of an homage. Well, and just briefly then, because let's touch on the music, and I'm not a muser, which is why I haven't stalled on the music so much, but there were <laughs> I, I, I daren't because I wrote down some of the um, <clears throat> some of the artists or some of the music that, Itch, itch. I, I'm not. But what were your? Um, <laughs> I I'm not want to hear yours. No, they're good though. There's some Bowie. There's some Beatles. It's not terrible, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But where's like the inspiration? Beatles, yeah. yeah, keep going, keep going. Where's the inspiration from your? Probably like you know, yeah. of course, the Beatles growing up. Bob Dylan, uh, yeah. Harry Nelson, uh, George Harrison. Um, you know, just those artists that kind of march to the beat of their own drum and yeah. that great 60s, 70s classic oeuvre of wanting to talk about something in more substance than yeah. like a love song, which is nothing wrong with that. But, it, you know, it was hard. I wrote these songs as like not only to heal myself, but as an homage to my not just my devotional teachers from the East, gurus from the East, but these these musical avatars from the West, like all these guys I mentioned. So it's like. I, you know, like the publishing for the album and the soundtrack should like go to them like they they. Yeah. Like, of my life and music can heal us so deeply when we're in our darkest state so i mean i owe those guys you know big cup of tea something well we're gonna we're gonna end there uh what apart from the book i want to know what if there's another what's going on in that brain of yours in terms of <laughs> in terms of the continuated the continuation of the story of maya o'malley <laughs> and uh well, Oh, just as a quick, uh, maybe share that I shouldn't share, but I'll share with you and your audience. I'm, I'm, I'm brainstorming about the sequel to it, yes, which will be I knew it. Maya and his more devotional plate down the road. And if I'm able to pull that off or crazy enough to pull that off, that will happen. But right now I'm just working on my next album called Material Life and demoing that out. And I'm doing a lot of painting and drawing, which is nice because I don't have to bring out a lot of people or yeah. gear. I can just do it. So I kind of. I'm kind of doing more autonomous art right now and just actually giving myself a break because this has a, been a long, long journey. It's amazing long. to meet you and congratulations on the film and good luck with the book. And um, Thank you so much. We'll put, some, we'll put some links to some of your stuff uh, on the on the podcast website when we go live so people can find you. They can hunt you down. They can find <laughs> your film. I appreciate and, it. Uh, it's been so lovely talking with you. It's great to meet you, Justin. Thanks for coming <laughs> you on. You as well.